Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin, and this week we are going through a few topics, a few things I've covered in the recent newsletters, and a few things that are uh, coming up, and uh, just a little run down of how to watch cycling in 2021, which uh, I'm not totally sure of myself, and I'm a super fan, so that seems like a problem. Um, this I, I want to get a little bit more involved for particularly newsletter readers about like how to actually watch the races. I realized I was like pushing out all these race analysis and recaps last year, and then thought maybe towards the end of the year that like oh unless you're like going through uh, sports pirate Reddit boards, you might be a little confused about how to actually watch these races, or if you pay for European TV and use a VPN to watch it. Uh, but first, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pod, or you can become a premium subscriber to the newsletter and you get daily updates during Grand Tours and Monuments, as well as trice weekly, a trice weekly update when there are no major races. Uh, there's also a free option. You can sign up at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. And if you become a subscriber, you get a discount to things like uh, stages. You can get a power meter, head unit, uh, heart rate monitor, and there's also a current deal for 15% off Strava premium membership for a year if you're a subscriber. So check that out over at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. So I recorded this week's episode, uh, and then on Friday evening, woke, woke up Saturday morning to publish it and saw that Tom Dumoulin has stepped away from the sport of cycling, leaving his Jumbo Visma team training camp in the middle of the camp, uh, and is taking unpaid leave for an unspecified amount of time. Uh, it's not clear if he plans to return to the sport. We don't. Or it's not clear why he's stepping away. So I wanted to <laughs> touch on this up top before we get into the rest of the topics that I've um, that I already talked about yesterday, but. Uh, we we can't really dive into this too much because we don't know anything. I do find it shocking that he was already he went to the team training camp and yesterday or the day before he released a schedule for 2021 said he was excited about it. Uh that that's super odd to me. I don't know why he would go through the motions of doing that to then just back out the next day. Um it which because of that it makes me think that this isn't a premeditated decision that this is something that has just come up, uh, I guess, in the heat of the moment. Uh, it's a really bizarre thing. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before, where a star just l- goes to training camp and then decides mid-training camp, well, I actually don't want to do this uh, with my life anymore, so I'm leaving. I wrote a little bit that that this would be a big season for him that would shape the rest of his career. If we kind of, It's kind of hard to remember, but if we look back to like 2017, I'd say he was easily the second best Grand Tour rider in the world. And when he wins the Giro d'Italia, he was like the heir apparent to Chris Froome. 2018 rolls around, he loses the Giro, but only to a fantastic Chris Froome, gets second. And he goes to the Tour and gets second in that as well. So it's kind of in, in soccer, they call it like a plastic treble when you win three underwhelming, underwhelming trophies. Uh, or to me, that was kind of like the plastic double where, you know, the last rider to win the Giro Tour double was Marco Pantani in 1998. And it's not clear if it's possible to do it without tons and tons of EPO like those guys were using. 
So to me, that that's a huge accomplishment to get second at both races to different riders each time and then get fourth of the World Road Race Championship. So I thought 2018 was a really good year. And then, of course, he has the crash at the 2019 Giro d'Italia. It, in, that's what caused him to leave his Sunweb team because of the mismanagement of the rehab from that, where it wasn't clear what exactly the injury was. He was off the bike for an absurd amount of time, like months and months and months, off the bike longer than Chris Froome who had multiple compound fractures, lost the majority of the blood in his body on the side of the road and nearly died, came back to the bike faster than Tom Dumoulin. So, and there was a lot of false starts in there, a lot of miscommunication between him and his team. It wasn't clear what exactly was going on. And that's what ultimately uh, caused him to go to Jumbo Visma. And it wasn't, the fit wasn't clear to begin with because they already had Stephen Kreuzwick, who is, you know, not a great Grand Tour rider, but he's a you know, he's a podium finisher at the Tour de France, uh, almost won the Giro d'Italia. He's, a, he's good enough to finish on Grand Tour podiums consistently. And Primoz Roglic, who, is probably, who was at the time probably the best Grand Tour rider in the world. Now he's probably second behind Tadej Pogacar. So it was going to be hard for him to, to take up a leadership role there. But it seemed like he was committed to kind of, you know, trying to find his form again. And it's it's this funny thing where it's like, well, he's not a leader at Jumbo Visma, but yeah, if he wasn't, if he's not better than Primoz Roglic, he's not he's not going to be winning anyway. You know, it's it's like you kind of have to be better than these other guys to win the race. So, you know, I I didn't I don't buy into that too much where it's like, well, the team is too stacked. Well, if you're better than them, you're going to win. So just be better. And Tom Dumoulin's talented enough to be the best Grand Tour rider on that team. He's he's t- more talented, in my opinion, than Primoz Roglic. But Primoz Roglic has just been so much more consistent than him uh, since coming back from that injury. Or, I mean, his whole career. Tom Dumoulin had consistency issues before the injury. So we should keep that in mind. He's had a couple comments. There were, there were comments during 2019 and 2020 that made it seem as though he might retire. Or that he had fallen, fallen out of love with the sport. And that so... I kind of was always reading these, like, is he going to retire? Like, what's going on here? Is he going to be coming back for next year? Uh, but I thought because he was planning a schedule and that he had attended training camp that he actually was recommitted to 2021. And I thought it was going to be a good year for him. I would have guessed that he would have a great year. So I was super surprised to see this. I've seen, you know, speculation that, oh, he just, became discouraged because he wasn't going to go to the Giro d'Italia to try to win it, that he was going to have to work for Primoz Roglic at the Tour de France because the team wanted him to go go to the Tour. I don't totally buy that because the team, if he's better than Primoz Roglic, that Jumbo Visma is more than happy to let him lead the team. Remember, Primoz Roglic didn't win the Tour de France in 2020. It's not like they have like a surefire winner sitting in their team and Tom Dumoulin has to take a back seat. You know, I, I'm sure that leadership position is up for grabs. And if Tom Dumoulin wanted it, he certainly has the talent to get himself in shape and be the best Grand Tour rider on that team and probably win the 2021 Tour, especially with all those time trials. You know, I think he's even still, post-injury, a better time trialist than Primoz Roglic. So that didn't totally add up to me. It seemed like he had every opportunity to kind of reemerge as a Tour de France contender and even win the Tour this year. I thought he was... He was probably my best bet behind Tadej Pogacar to win the tour. 
So yeah, I don't totally buy the fact that it's like, oh, we just got discouraged that he was uh, going to have to work for Roglic at the tour and he wants to go to the Giro. I know, I know that he does have this weird obsession with the Giro. He tends to always go there, even if the roof doesn't suit him over the Tour de France. Uh, he has this odd aversion of the Tour de France. It could just be that this is all pointing to like an extreme, he has like an extreme anxiety of, around cycling in general, and he prefers going to the smaller race versus the bigger race, and that this anxiety eventually caused him to fall to love the sport, and it was just more appealing just to leave. I mean, to, to go on unpaid leave from a very high-paying professional uh, <laughs> job as a professional athlete, you must really, really be not enjoying it. So something's clearly going on there, and you know, perhaps there was friction within the team where he wanted to go to the Giro, and they said, no, that doesn't make any sense. You need to go to the Tour. You could win the Tour, and that's where we want you to be. And that, that caused enough friction for him to step away. Um, it, it's really bizarre. I don't, ultimately, we don't know anything. But I do think that the suddenness of this and the fact that he did attend training camp might point to something happening at that training camp that caused this sudden departure from the sport. Um, I should note there, he was slightly implicated in the, in the Operation Alderlass doping uh, criminal investigation where there was a German doctor storing blood bags. He had like something like blood bags from like 80 to 100 athletes in his garage and he was caught. And uh, Tom Dumlam and Primoz's Roglic's photos were being used in the interrogation of people already caught as potential suspects or people potentially also involved. So those investigators didn't just come up with those pictures. They didn't just like pick random pictures of professional cyclists and show them to people. They must have had credible information that Roglic and Dumoulin were possibly involved. It's also worth noting that Dumoulin's not been the same rider since that bust happened, where, you know, I don't think that's out of line to draw that line to make that connection if investigators are already making the connection. And then we've just seen that he was not the same rider last year that he was pre- um, Alderlass doping bust. I think that's kind of curious and strange. And then this stepping away from the sport as that investigation is like ratcheting up and people are actually going to prison. Uh, one of the riders involved just recently was sentenced to prison and the doctor orchestrating the ring just recently was sentenced to prison. So the timing is a little strange there. Uh, but we, yeah, we, we don't know a ton, but something to keep our eye on. And I will be sending out a more in-depth newsletter going over this uh, later this week. I'll probably send that to the whole list. So if you're interested, sign up for the free email list at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. All right, well, we'll get back to the rest of the episode that I've already recorded. So Woot Van Aert, I talked a few weeks ago. There was these rumors that Woot Van Aert could go to Ineos. Uh, I wrote about that, that it was possible. And that, I mean, this is like anything's possible, right? With enough money that they could pay Wu Van Aert and Matthew Vanderpool and go over there with Tom Pitcock, and it would be like the most boring, uh, dominant team of all time, and they would all have to work for each other. It'd be terrible, right? Because if you have great riders just becoming workers, like this has happened to Mikhail Kiyevkoski, and for the record, he's made tons of money and seems very happy with this decision, so I don't think he's personally regretting it. But it makes it, it's kind of a bummer for fans because it takes these riders who could have had like fantastic individual careers and it, you just kind of stick them on the front of a race and they ride so hard that non-star riders who are on other teams can't keep up and you can kind of control a race that way because 
you in theory have your eight riders are the eight best riders in the race. So when you line it out and go hard, no one, no one can stay with you. Um, and, and that's key to that. If you've watched cycling in the last like eight years, you've noticed that tactic, particularly from Ineos. And it relies, it's, it's an expensive tactic because it relies on having the strongest riders in the race. You have to have like eight of the strongest 20 riders in the race for that to work. And your Grand Tour uh, contender, your team leader has to be the strongest of the riders because we saw exactly what happens when that isn't the case at the Tour this year where Jumbo Visma rode like that. It worked until it didn't work. And they actually uh, helped Tadej Pogacar win the Tour from UAT Emirates because he was stronger than their leader, Primoz Roglic. So, and I mean, classic example of this not working was uh, Bahrain Merida, Bahrain McLaren, stage 17 of the Tour where they set pace all day and then their team leader gets dropped like at the bottom of the climb. So that, uh, it's like, this is contingent upon having the strong, it's like the secret to, the, to winning the race is being the strongest rider in the race where there's like, this is not like an innovative tactic. It just, it's a blunt force way to win races, but it relies on how, how does this relate to Woot Van Aert? It relies on having the strongest riders. So Ineos has to go out and hire these superstars and pay them tons of money. Like I'm talking tons of money, like millions of euros a year just to work for other riders. And it, it's, I think it's kind of a bummer for the sport because it takes guys who could be riding for the wins themselves and mixing the races up and making them more dynamic and just popping them right on the front and they never race to win. So it, it sucks for the sport. Great for Ineos. If you're on that team, uh, Ineos isn't, let's not, uh, I don't want to villainize any of us. They're not, they're just the richest team. So they're better at this than everyone. But we re-signed with Yobo Visma, who is going to use him in this capacity uh, somewhat at the tour where they make him work on the front, but they let him do things like win individual stages. And that's fine. Yeah. They let him win. He's doing something that's like, I've never seen anyone do before. Just like tons of teamwork and then in the mountains and then like win sprint stages. It's like, they're not let, he's doing that himself, but. They're giving him the freedom to do that, which is super rare. Most teams wouldn't do that, especially Ineos. So I think it's good that he that he stayed with Jumbo Visma. I was very happy to see him sign a three-year extension. It's not clear to me if, I think 2021, he had one more year left on his deal. The way I read it is they ripped up the deal right now, and he starts his new contract like today through 2024, because I bet... Um, my intuition is that he was getting paid like mid six figures uh, because he signed the deal in 2018 before he was a superstar, but a very good writer. And now he should be making like Peter Sagan makes 5 million years a year. And that's what Woot Van Aert should be making. That's about the market rate for him. So they probably put him on like three or 4 million euros a year starting right now. I think that's how that worked. So very good for Woot. Uh, he can fly business class, but yeah, it's great, get, great to see him get paid. Um, it was I published in the newsletter today out that goes out to the, the the wide list, the top twenty earners in pro cycling in twenty twenty, and it was interesting that I think the three best riders from the year were Tadej Pogacar, Woot Van Aert, and Matthew Vanderpool. Yeah, I mean Primoz Roglic would probably be maybe be in there somewhere, maybe, but those guys were very good. Three of the best riders in the world. Neither of them were on the list. So that was interesting. 
Um, Woot, Woot's certainly on the list now. I would assume Tade Pogachar got on some type of new deal with UAE with Fabio Aru, who was on that list, who was not good. Uh, he left or was uh, not retained. His services were not retained by UAE team Emirates. I would assume Tade Pogachar got some of that cheddar that he was getting. I think he was getting paid like 2.6 million euros a year, which is crazy. So I think they maybe he just gave that salary right over to Tade Pogachar. Uh, which is money well spent. But yeah, so Matthew Vanderpool is kind of the lone guy. I don't know what he's making. Probably making less than a million euros a year, which is crazy, especially at his age. I think he's 26 this year. It's like now's when you got as a pro athlete, you got to be making your prime money right about now. So, and it, it, he's kind of done this himself. He, he purposely rides for small teams so he can stay flexible and race. He races three disciplines at a world-class level. So he wants to win the Olympic mountain bike race. He'll probably win uh, the Cyclocross World Championships coming up, I think, at the end of this month, and uh, also race the Tour de France. And so he just has to take less money. I mean, he probably makes uh, like incremental extra money from cross and mountain bike, but nothing compared to if he just went all in on the road, he would make a lot more money and signed with a big team. But uh, that's actually that's actually an interesting cross World Championships. Is I never cover cross. Uh, I kind of kind of follow it. I just think there's better sources for cross information than me, people who are more interested in it, like the CX Hairs crew. They have got a great Substack and podcast. Um, but I, I might, I might write up, a, a, I might watch that race and write up something about it. I think that's going to be really interesting because it's Woot Van Aert versus Matthew Vanderpool, like right in the middle of the off season, which is really weird. And I don't think it's good for their their road performance, but it will certainly be interesting. Um, Oh, uh, next thing I did uh, over on the premium newsletter, I ranked each team, each world tour team. Uh, there's there's 19 of them. I split them into four different tiers, and then did a detailed preview of what I expect from them this year. But I focused on I created a a ranking system where I took the pro cycling stats points from each individual rider, what they racked up in 2020, and then just added it. You know, for the riders, I factored in riders leaving and riders coming in and then came up with like a projected finish for each team in 2021. Uh, the top four were Ineos. Ineos had a shockingly good offseason. So Ineos took on a quick step. UAT Memorates, Yumbo Visma. Uh, actually, I think Ineos is like way overrated. It's my own system and I'm calling it overrated, which is funny. But to coin a quick step finishes first. I think they finished first the last four years. I expect them to finish first again. They're incredible. It almost doesn't matter who's on that team, it's, which is ridiculous and shows that's the number one sign of a strong organization is when you can just swap in personalities and talents and just get the same results. Ineos is kind of the opposite of that, where you look at the talent on that team, it's crazy. But And, and they've had, it'd be silly to say they haven't had success since Chris Froome got hurt. But Egan Bernal won the 2019 tour kind of by himself. And Garrett Thomas was just fantastic, personally fantastic, when he won the 2018 tour. Their team is kind of stunk. I mean, the team was really bad at the 2019 tour. It was even worse at the 2020 tour. It was terrible at the 2020 Vuelta Espana. Richard Carapaz was basically riding unattached out there. So, yeah, I don't think any of us will finish first. But I was shocked. I. Uh, I put a little chart in the newsletter showing the pro cycling stats points gained and lost for each team over the offseason. 
and Enios was uh, 2,339 points gained. The next closest team was UA Team Emirates, who added Mark Hershey, who's really good, like almost 1,000 PCS points, and their total was 1,290. So the, the delta between one and two is almost the entire total of the second place. Uh, super, super impressive. I will say most of that comes from Richie Port, who got third at the Tour in 2020. I, he doesn't. Two things about Richie Port. He's going to be 36 years old this season, so I don't expect great things from him. And he seemed the messaging when he left Trek to go to Ineos is he was excited to stop racing for himself and race as a, just a helper. So I don't think he, I don't think he'll perform nearly as well as he did in 2020. And I think that's by design. He seemed excited to kind of leave that part of his career with the pressures and expectations and just go to working for other people so just no slight to richie port but he's not going to be as good as he was in 2020 by design or at least his results won't be as reflective of uh, a good season and they brought on adam yates who's like yeah blah i mean guy guy finished top 10 at the tour de France, and i'm calling him blah but the days of him competing for grand tours are over he should really focus on stage wins i think he could have a very good career uh just sniping stage wins at grand tours for the next five years Danny Martinez, who I'm not a huge, I think he's a big talent, not a huge believer in. Um, he has absolutely no Grand Tour results, no like proven ability to last for three weeks. Uh, he's, yeah, I mean, he's good. It's kind of the same thing as Adam Yates, where I think he could be a great stage winner, but I don't expect great things from him. Um, I shouldn't say that. I don't think he's going to be a star of the future. So, uh, and I'd say my big takeaway is I was just shocked at except for Deconic quick step, how much the uh, kind of the, the ups and downs of a team, the team's performance is relied on their like top five or 10 riders. It really comes down to your top five riders, which is why I was so shocked that Sunweb let Mark Hershey go. And since I wrote about that and potted about that last week, uh, two weeks ago, whenever that was, I've heard that they, they kind of shopped them around and potentially sold them which is really shocking to me, especially since they brought on a new sponsor who was likely drawn to sponsor the team due to the talent of Mark Hershey and having their brand associated with like an up-and-coming star, <laughs> which is odd that they would be okay with team management selling him and kind of pocketing the money. Because that's, that's what you're here for. It's like, okay, your team can be really strong, but if there's no tip to your spear, you're literally just wasting your time. Like I'm looking at teams like Trek Segafredo. I mean, they have a the former world champion, so that doesn't even really apply to them. But look, let's look at like Kofidis, um, Quebec ASOS, NTT. I mean, if there's no tip to your spear, your team can be plenty strong and you're just irrelevant, anonymous. No one's going to notice you. So yeah. If uh, I, I was I was surprised by that, how the amount of pro cycling stats points and I guess UCI points, just points in general, success of the team just comes down to their top few riders. It's, it really is a superstar league, as they say. Uh, I will be doing writer previews. So I, I went through each team. I thought it'd be fun then to go through. I'm going to go through uh, like overall uh, general classification one day time trials, sprinters, and preview like the top, I'd say like the people who finished top 10 in each of those classifications, and then a few wild cards. So like I will cover like Chris Froome because he is such a big star. 
uh, and he, he I, I, I watched, I attended the Israel Startup Nation presentation this week, and he was saying that he wants to win Tour de France this year, so that's all anyone's going to talk about, even though I have absolutely no faith. That he can, I, I don't even, it's not even a faith question. He showed us last year what he is. He's not going to be a contender going forward. It's crazy that people are still talking about him like he is. Uh, I think we kind of saw what Chris Stream's going to be for the rest of his career, which is a guy who used to win a lot of races as a guy who can't win races anymore and at his best can kind of help teammates. So uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of frustrating that I just saw on Twitter. It's just people, it's like trying to tell people Santa isn't real. It's crazy. It's crazy how much faith people have in him where it's just kind of all the facts point to him not having it anymore, which it makes sense. He almost died from a crash. It'd be bizarre to come back and be faster. He has to be faster than he was in his prime to beat the young guys. These guys are better than Chris Froome was when he was winning the Tour de France every year. That's just not possible to be better than you were in your prime at 36 years old. He would be the oldest Tour de France winner of all time if he won it this year. It's not going to happen. Mark Hershey, like what's going to happen to him? And I, that's, I did a, uh, like a little preview of the writer previews uh, midweek this week, send it out to the big email list. And it was interesting where I went through like the breakout writers of 2018, the 10 writers who improved the most from the year before in the top 20 uh, pro cycling stats points total. And it was interesting where you can really see the second year, what's going on, like who's getting better and who's not getting better. There's a, a clear delineation. And then by the third season, the third consecutive season, it's clear who's a star and who had an outlier season because in 2018, I'll just, the top three writers were who improved the most were Alejandro Valverde, Elia Viviani, Julian Alaphilippe. Well, then Simon Yates was five, Primus Roglic behind him. 2019, Primus Roglic wins. He's first in the PCS writer rankings. Julian Alaphilippe second. So right there, there's clear, they're clearly separating themselves from the rest. Alejandro Valverde's third. He's, he's, he's you know, gotten worse, quote-unquote worse, but he's come down from the top spot, and he's old. He's old as dirt. It's like 39 years old in 2019, which is old for cycling, for sports. Viviani's dropped from three to six. So then 2020, Roglic won again. So guy's clearly a star, 30 year in a row in the top 10. Julian Alaphilippe's had an off year, quote-unquote off year. He's dropped from second to 10th. He's won the world championship in there. So uh, if that's his off year, that's pretty impressive. Valverde's dropped down to 22 um, just because of age. I mean, he's old. I can't think he's going to be 41 this year. Um, but then everyone else, like Miguel Angel Lopez, he was 34th. Simon Yates, 40th. Tim Wallen, 66th. Garrett Thomas, 85th. Elia Viviani, 97th. Roman Bardet, 107th. Sonny Cobrelli, 116th. So, I mean, those like outside of the top three guys, Roglic, Alaphilippe, Valverde, we can see that. It, uh, yeah, it's funny I included Valverde. That was kind of not a mistake, but he's just so good. He snuck into my breakout writer algorithm from 2018 because he improved up to first from eighth. Uh, but that's kind of not a real, I actually put, shouldn't have put him in here and then I think about it. But those three riders are stars, stars of the sport. 
the rest of those guys I mentioned are just merely pretty good writers. And I mean, as far as like Sonny Cabrelli, like, is he even pretty good? So it was shocking to me how few quote unquote breakout writers two years later are still having good seasons. I mean, not good, still having great seasons. All these guys are having decent seasons. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, I picked 10, how many writers did I pick? I picked the, yeah, like 10 writers that had quote unquote breakout seasons this year. Um, Alexander Vlasov, Remco Evanepoel, Mark Hershey, Joel Almeida, Teo Gegenhart, Filippo Ghana, Soren Craig Anderson, Chai Henley, Danny Martinez, Leonard Kama, Kamna. And it's funny to think, because the way it's covered, the sport is covered, it's like, well, these guys are all breakout stars and they're stars of the future. But just from going from the evidence in the past, three, four of them will be stars and the rest will just revert to the mean and be pretty good riders. So then I, uh, I, make, I made a prediction that Mark Hershey, Filippo Ghana are going to be stars. Danny Martinez, Leonard Kamda will be pretty good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pencil them as stars. And then I think Vlazov, Remco, well, okay. Remco Evanepoel, I think is going to revert in 2021 just because he broke his femur. I'd put him without that. He's cle- he'd be clearly a star. I- I'm not writing off Remco. I believe in Remco. I don't know if he can be a Grand Tour winner simply because I've never seen him race a Grand Tour, and he doesn't know what it's like to race a Grand Tour. So maybe let's put him in. I'd pencil him in for a star. Joao Almeida, Teo Gigenhart, Soren Craig Anderson, Jai Hindley, I think will have worse seasons than they had this year. And will probably revert to the mean a little bit as their career goes on. Careers go on. Oh, and so the last topic, where to watch cycling in 2021. If you lived in the US, your one legal option has been NBC Sports. No, that's not true. So for the Tour de France, it's been NBC Sports. NBC Sports announced today they're going out of business. All those rights held by NBC Sports are getting transferred to well, this is interesting. For their, they, they just mentioned they'd be migrating some bigger events like NASCAR and soccer, Premier League, over to USA Network and hockey. They didn't mention anything about cycling. I would almost bet you cycling's going to Peacock. If you're not familiar with the Peacock, it sucks. It is like NBC's streaming option. And Liverpool and Manchester United were like competing for the top spot in the English Premier League this last weekend. I was very excited to watch the game. I have NBC Sports. I come to one to watch it, and it's on Peacock, which is you have to pay an additional fee on top of your NBC Sports to watch anything. So I think now they're just going to migrate all of these kind of incremental, these marginal rights they have over to Peacock to try to get you to pay extra for that. So unfortunately, if you have cable and you have NBC Sports currently, that's going away. And I think you're going to have to pay extra to stream Peacock to watch the tour, which totally sucks because who's going to do that? Like very few people. So if you're just a general cycling fan and you're listening to this, I don't really know. I, I don't really know what to tell you. Like, I, I'm like, should I get, I, should I start illegally streaming? And like, that's a perk to the newsletter. I can send you an illegal stream. I'm not quite sure what to do. Um, the way I watch cycling is I pay for flow bikes, which is, it's a fairly expensive over the top service. It's like $150 a year, which for me is totally worth it. I watch like every race. 
they don't have the rights to every race in the U.S. because NBC is such a juggernaut slash bully. But what they do is they buy the Canadian rights, and they're very, um, they're not super strict about VPN. So I just have kind of like a run-of-the-mill VPN. I can turn that on, and I can watch every cycling race in the U.S. with that. That's that, I just don't see the average cycling fan doing that though. And then the other option was Fubu TV, which is kind. Of, it's a really expensive. It's like a sixty dollar a month streaming over-the-top streaming service. Uh, you could buy a cycling package for eight extra dollars, but I've, I've heard from uh, a reader of my other newsletter, the Outerline newsletter that I co-author with two other people, Steve Maxwell and Joe Harris, uh, weekly, and it's free. Sign up for that at theouterline.com. But uh, someone got in touch with us and said that FUBU TV was retiring that. So it's not clear to me, and I believe Flow Sports just licenses FUBU TV's stream. So I think FUBU still owns those rights. I'll have to look into this. Um, or maybe Flowbikes is just purchasing it from them. But that will leave, basically, if you want to watch like mainstream cycling events like Paris-Roubaix, Tour of Flanders, World Championships, Tour de France, Vuelta España, uh, Giro d'Italia is, I think, only on uh, Flowbikes. But you're going to have to buy Peacock in addition to your NBC Sports, which is crazy. Um, or get flow bikes and use a VPN. Neither of those are great options. Uh, so I'm going to keep looking into this and uh, tr- I'll try to figure out maybe some pseudo legal solution. I don't know. I mean, if, if you'd be interested in joining like a Twitch stream that I'm just like streaming from my house, uh, I, I maybe I, I might get in a lot of trouble for that, but just email me at beyondthepelotonpod at gmail.com and maybe we could work something out. But uh, yeah, I'll keep looking into this and hopefully, hopefully the Tour de France is available on USA, but that's it's an unsexy network. Like who's got, who's going to USA to watch anything? It's just, it's, it's discouraging to me. There's not, there should just be a cycling package that you purchase and then you can watch every race or it comes with your cable package. It's crazy that it's not. It seems like golf has figured that out. So the Times of London reported that uh, Japan has privately canceled the Olympics for uh, this this July and August, the 2020 Olympics. They're now the 2021 Olympics. Uh, I then uh, I follow Alicia Prottlier, who's an Olympic runner on Instagram, and she posted on her Instagram story a note from the IOC, the Olympic Committee, that this was actually not true and the Olympics were happening. So we have like two conflicting sources of information. I, I, my gut is that it doesn't happen. I don't think Japan's going to let the Olympics come in. I think they're pretty freaked out about COVID surges and it might not be better by the summer and they might just say no. And the people in Japan don't want it. So it'd be hard as a democratically elected government to do something that that's unpopular. Like 80% of people don't want the Olympics right now in Japan. But I published this in a newsletter, sent it out and then heard from like a high, high, high up at the IOC that this actually was not true and the games were going ahead. So I, per, I could be wrong. It's very possible I'm wrong. But um, I, for cycling, it's, it's A, it's weird to me that cycling is even in the Olympics. I've never quite understood it. I think it should just be, it should be like soccer where it's amateur U23 racing. Should not be professional cyclists because it's a, it's just odd because you get professional cycling all the time. It's like professional 
baseball. I, yeah, it's just you, you're watching that every summer anyway. The Olympics, in my opinion, should be for sports that you don't normally watch, like swimming, track and field, track cycling, like events where the Olympics is it. Because what happens is it's fun. It can, it's kind of fun to watch these pro cyclists at the Olympics, but it's also kind of weird. It's it it just like doesn't quite fit. Where it's not a it's not a standalone event, they kind of get they get overshadowed by the other sports. It's it's not like a gem of the Olympics. Is no one cares about the road race, the time trial. The only people that care about it are cycling fans, who would be watching anyway. And it, it cannibalizes the existing events because people leave the Tour de France early to then do the Olympics a week later, or people focus less on the Tour, and then just don't go to the Vuelta which is like two weeks later, or the World Championships, which is after the Vuelta. It just ends up cannibalizing the rest of the calendar, which I don't like. I don't think, that, I don't think cycling gains anything from being in the Olympics, or at least professional cycling. And it gives an IOC a foothold in the sport, which is just not good. If you know anything about the IOC, you don't want anything to do with them. Be like, uh, the, I don't know, any professional sports league and never interact with the IOC. Uh, but... It just, yeah, it's an odd fit. So if the Olympics do get canceled, it actually helps the cycling calendar because it means riders will focus more on the tour and the Vuelta and we'll be able to kind of preserve our, our marquee events more than it just getting diluted by people kind of like leaving the tour early to go focus to get to Japan earlier to focus on the Olympics or just not doing the tour at all and then not doing the Vuelta. It, it, it totally screws up these the existing cycling calendar. So I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, would obviously hate to see the Olympics, Olympics canceled because A, it's a fun event. B, uh, it'd be devastating to the Olympians. And C, it would kind of signal that things are not back to normal, nor will they be back to normal for a while. So uh, just something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. But yeah, I thought it was interesting how quickly they responded. Um, the Times of London, it's a pretty reputable source, so it'd be odd if they were just totally wrong on that. But, um, and I also don't doubt the IOC is full steam ahead. It's, I think it just more depends on Japan. Japan says no, doesn't matter what the IOC thinks. And it's probably too late to move the games at this point. So I think it's probably in the hands of J- the Japanese government more than the IOC at this point. But yeah, have a, have a great week. I'm recording this on Friday. I might not get it out until next week, but uh, have a great weekend. And if this is after the weekend, I hope you had a great weekend. Please rate and view the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Check out the newsletter, beyondthepeloton.substack.com. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye.